Hello, and welcome to The Unexplained Truths. Stories of life, healing, and unexplained events. We're your hosts. I'm Julie. And I'm Genevieve. On this show, we will explore and uncover the hidden truths about life, healing, and unexplained events with our guests through real-life stories. So get ready to be educated, enlightened, and inspired through our guests and their stories. Today, our guest is William Bankston. William F. Bankston is a professor of statistics and research methods and the president of the Society for Scientific Exploration, an international group of scientists and researchers who study anomalies. Dr. Bankston has been researching anomalous healing for over 35 years and has numerous publications in scientific journals. He is the author of Hands-On Healing, a training course in The Energy Cure, as well as his memoir, The Energy Cure. Bill's research has produced the first successful full cures of transplanted mammary cancer and methacholanthrene-induced sarcomas in mice by energy healing techniques that he helped to develop. He has also investigated assorted correlations to healing such as EEG and MRI entrainment and geomagnetic micropulsation anomalies in healing space. His current research focuses on the attempt to record and store healing in both biological and physical forms and to be able to reproduce the healing effect without the healer. <laughs> William, thank you so much for being here. So I have been a huge fan of your work since I first learned about it. And uh, I was just wondering if you could sort of tell the story about how you got into healing, because I think it's really interesting. Well, I, I, I kind of fell into it. Uh, I, I had no plans. Uh, life just threw this at me. Mm. Um, about 120 years ago, <laughs> I, I was lifeguarding, and I had a, a particularly bad back, a chronic bad back. I had given up a swimming scholarship and all that in college, um, and so I just thought I had to live with it. Uh, and I ran into a crazy guy who claimed he was a psychic, mm. and I, I'm a skeptic uh, in virtually everything, um, and so I started to test him. And uh, I designed increasingly sophisticated tests, and I couldn't stump him. I, I mean, it's, it's that simple. I couldn't stump him. And then he, he kind of spontaneously morphed into a healer. Um, he was, uh, when he would do a reading on somebody, and let's say he would be holding an object of theirs, uh, they were alleging that, that the conditions were leaving them. And, and neither he nor I believe this crap. And, and so I said, you know, you big dope, come put your hands on my back and, and see what happens. And um, that was the last back pain I ever had, you know. And, and that, so th this is, you know, again, a long, long time ago. And then I was left with a, a choice. Uh, I can accept it and move on, or I can try to figure out what was behind it. And so for better or for worse... I started to try to figure out uh, what was behind it. And, and, and so the healing phenomenon simply was dropped on me personally. And I just said, Let, let's, let's see where this takes us. Uh, so we, we started to do people. Um, and uh, I, I started to drag them around and saying, put your hands here, put your hands there, and let's see what happens. Uh, and we did um, a few hundred people. Uh, right off the bat, uh, there were some reasonably interesting uh, patterns. Uh, th this wasn't in any way miraculous. 
this was, uh, a, I think it's pretty obvious at this point, it's a natural phenomenon. It can work on some things and not others, and presumably other healing techniques work on other things and not these, you know, like that. Uh, but we found out, for example, that among the things that, that responded almost immediately and very, very dramatically was cancer. Uh, and, and so uh, benign growths didn't seem to have any response at all. Uh, for example, uh, no effect on, on a wart. Uh, but if you had a good cancerous tumor, uh, that would be taken care of pretty quickly. Uh, so we did a, a few hundred cancer patients then. And then I was starting to get um, frustrated uh, because, the, I mean, all we were getting was cured people. And, you know, after a while, it's old. Uh, so the, the, the people didn't even necessarily want the cures, but they were happening anyway. And, and so the problem was, uh, what do we do? What, how do we learn something? So if, if someone comes in, in a clinical case, uh, and they have a, we'll call it cancer X, um, and you do hocus-pocus uh, and however many treatments you need, you do hocus-pocus and then the cancer goes away. What do you learn? I mean, you learn that the cancer goes away. So what? Um, you don't know why. You don't know how. You don't know, you don't know when they got it. You don't know what the conditions were. You don't know anything like that. Um, and so all you have is a bunch of cured people. Uh, but, you know, after a while, it's the same old, same old. You don't learn too much. Um, and so I decided... Uh, to take this into the lab and to try to do this under much more systematic conditions. It, it gets old fixing people. <laughs> Why does it get old? Well, they don't like it. Um, uh, the, the most common response I found is is anger uh, when someone is, is cured. Um, and the, the, again, these aren't remissions, these are cures. Um, it's not like symptoms go away for some length of time. The thing goes away, and and in the case of people, as far as I'm aware, um, uh, nobody's ever had a recurrence. Uh, and I have to say, as far as I'm aware, because you know who knows. Uh, Fifty years ago, are they still cured? I, I don't know. But you see, I can I can control that in the lab. So if we take uh, an animal, we take a mouse in a lab. I know everything about it. Um, I know I know its genetics. I know its friends. I know its family. I know I know all this kind of stuff. I know when they got cancer. I know what kind of cancer they have, and I can follow them for their entire life. Then I can start to learn some stuff. Um, uh, clinical cases are you come in and you have that famous X, uh, and then um, then hocus pocus happens and you leave and you don't have X anymore. Was it a grapefruit? You know, I don't know. Right. Was it the hocus pocus? Was it time itself? Would it have happened otherwise? Um, you never know in these cases. I mean, you know, in some cases, it, it, it wouldn't have happened otherwise. For example, one of the early cases we did uh, was somebody with gangrene. And now gangrene has no record, no known record of a spontaneous remission. Um, when we cured the gangrene, uh, and that was pretty simple to do, uh, when we cured the gangrene, uh, went back to the surgeon who was going to amputate a foot and said, uh, what do you think? And the surgeon started flopping on the floor. You know, I mean, had never seen anything like this. And, and, it's, and we said to the surgeon, uh, you want to you investigate this and let's, let's take this out on the road and try it on some other patients. They had no interest whatsoever, absolutely no interest. And people who are chronically ill, um, you come in and, and, and you fix it, you fix whatever they have, uh, 
that's not necessarily good news. Um, uh, there, there are all sorts of folks out there chronically ill and using it very loosely, their day job is, is tending their own diseases. Um, so they, they get up and they go to this specialist and that specialist and this therapist and that therapist and that's what they do. And they've been doing it for 15 years um, with some chronic condition. And then some lunatic comes along, goes hocus pocus, and the thing goes away. Well, now what do they do? Right. What's their identity? And, and, and there, there's, there's a whole lot of anger when, when stuff goes away. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned that uh, you're a skeptic. And um, can you speak on what it means to be a skeptic and how it helps in your research? Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't know many skeptics. Um, most people are simply believers. Mm -hmm. and, and frankly, I'm scared of believers. Uh, they scare me because believers think they know the truth. And I don't care what the truth is, they, they think they know it. And, and, and a skeptic um, is a kind of a, I, I think my experience is it, it's kind of a rare breed uh, in that they don't pretend to know everything and they're open, but they, they, don't, they don't default to belief. They, you know, kind of a show me uh, kind of a thing. As an anecdote, I, I've given talks to skeptic societies. And, and so you, you walk into the such and such skeptic society and there's an auditorium filled with people and they're all sitting there like this. They're all folded up, you know, and they're like that. And they're, their legs are folded up and their arms are folded up and their face is contorted and all this kind of thing. And, and then I begin by insulting them because that, that's my strength. Uh, and, and so what, what I do, I say, you know, I'm probably the only skeptic in the room. And then they get all twisted. And if you started as a pretzel and you try to do a pretzel squared, it's even harder. Uh, and so they're, they're in serious contortion mode. They go, no, we're the such and such skeptic society. And I said, you're really not. You're a bunch of mindless believers. You believe that everything I haven't yet said is wrong. And you don't even know what I'm gonna say. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know for sure that there's no such thing as this, so there's no such thing as that, and you already have the truth. And I said, you're, you're mindless. Uh, you're, you're just a bunch of believers. How about we, we throw something out there and see if there's any evidence for it? Right. And, and the same is true on the flip side. There are people who are mindless believers. Yeah. And they go through life believing. You know, they, they, it's all true. It's all, you know, so there's, if you think it's all wrong and you think it's all right, these are believers. And, and believers, frankly, they scare me because they're under the delusion. They understand the way the world works. Right. Uh, I don't. And I've been looking into this for a long time, and I don't really get it, but there are some things which are real. I, I, I'm not going to say, do you believe in healing? It's a stupid question. Under what conditions and what kind of data do you have? That, that's the interesting question. And, and so a, a skeptic is somebody who will kind of say, show me. Mm -hmm. And if you've got the thing to show me, well, I'm going to acknowledge that you showed me something. If, if, if I do an experiment and I, it, nothing comes out the way I expected, I don't say the experiment was wrong. I say, let me rethink the way I understand the world. Right. And that's actually the fun of research. I'm almost always wrong. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the image cycling technique, uh, which is the actual part of the healing technique and how it works? Yeah, I don't really know how it works, uh, uh, but I can just very, very briefly uh, talk about it. I use a, a mindless system that, um, uh, that seems to have an interesting correlate to healing. 
it's uh, it's a very very rapid imaging technique that it, it's not a secret. I'm not trying to be you know duck it here uh, because it's published. It's in writing. It's on an audio cassette. You can get it for yourself. Um, you can take a workshop. You can you can do you know learn the thing in, in all sorts of different ways. But it's a it's a really annoying uh, rapid imaging technique. And and the general idea is this. Everybody has to make a list of at least 20 things. We'd actually like more, but at least 20 things, very, very, very concrete things that you want that you now don't have. And so I want uh, a fancy car. Uh, and, and so what's the detail of the car you want? Or I want a fancy, or I want to be in a, you know, something like that. And, and these are recognizable images, and I'm doing this real quick, but recognizable images that you would know if you got it. So I, I want a, I don't know, fancy cars. I, a, a red, um, I don't even know what to say, Mercedes. <laughs> I'll know when I get it. That concrete thing. When you ask people to make a list of specific things, they get all nervous because almost everybody I know will say the exact same thing if I say make a list of 20 things. They'll say, but I only want three things. I want to be happy, I want to be healthy, and I want money. None of those three things have any content at all. And right. so they, they would be prohibited on the list. In other words, I want to be happy. I mean, what does that mean? I want to walk around a big grin all the time, you know, drooling. Um, <laughs> I could get a lobotomy and do that. Uh, is, is it, I'd be happy if I had a red Mercedes? Well, then it's the red Mercedes I want. Right. Happiness is not, doesn't have any content to it. I want to be healthy. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, uh, th there's a, a great phrase or a statement I learned from Larry Dossey, who said that a healthy person is someone who has been insufficiently examined. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? You know, so yeah. what does it mean? I don't want any foreign germs in me and that I'm healthy. I want, you know... If, if I can't play tennis because I have bad knees, an image of playing tennis is concrete. I'll know if I got there. I'm either playing tennis or I'm not. Right. right. I can play tennis or I can't. I have the red car, I don't. So happiness has no content whatsoever, but people want to be happy. Again, it's stupid. Uh, I want to be healthy. That has no content whatsoever. Um, and I want money. Now, why do you want money? To buy the red Mercedes. To buy the Mercedes, <laughs> and so my my system is a series of twenty or so what's. There's no sense of when. There's no sense of how. It's entirely selfish. Everything in my system tries to maximize selfishness, and for example, healing finally becomes a selfish act. Right. The person you want to thank in a healing is you as the healer thanking the healy for giving you what you want. Mm. Right. So everything in my right. system is selfish. It also has very strong ethical guidelines where you can't screw around with other people. And so, for example, I don't know if you've ever... Well, I'll give you an example. I, I saw a bumper sticker once, and there was a, somebody had a bumper sticker. Almost, I almost drove off the road. It said, uh, <laughs> visualize world peace. Now, I had no idea what that meant. I wanted to see what the image would look like. 
Right. You know, so I start beeping and honking and, and trying to get the person off the road <laughs> so I could ask them what 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 is it that they visualize. You know, I probably would have gotten arrested. Um, <laughs> but I don't I don't know what the image is, and I also would find the, that unethical, frankly. Uh, by what right do you have to impose peace on the species? Right. Yeah. If you've studied history, it's not the most peaceful species it's ever been. And you're going to come along and take people who love to kill each other and try to get them to stop? Uh, I find that arrogant as well as unethical. Right. Uh, so, so in any event, uh, you, for selfish reasons, not screwing around with anybody else, have a list of 20-something the record's 94. That's a, lot. That's a selfish person. That's <laughs> that a selfish person. You know, 94. Nobody's broken triple figures yet. They try to cheat, which is which is interesting. So they'll say, I, I have a picture of the red Mercedes in the front, the red Mercedes in the back. That's not that's not multiple images. Right. So I got these images uh, that, that I've spent some time developing, thinking about in some detail. And I go through them extremely rapidly. That's a gross understatement. Extremely rapidly uh, uh, for an instant, fraction of an instant, mini instant. Uh, and I do this as quickly as I can. That would be a drill. And actually doing the cycling uh, would be, uh, you would do this in response to ordinary life and emotion and things like that. So it, 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 my, my techniques are annoying to learn. Uh, they take an enormous amount of practice. You'll hate me the entire time. Uh, and then after a while with sufficient practice, it becomes mindless. And just as anything is better if you do it mindlessly than mindfully, I mean, I don't think that's a debatable proposition. If you walk and you walk mindfully, you look like an idiot. If you walk mindlessly, it means you've mastered walking. When you first start my cycling, you look like an idiot, trying to go image, 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 like that. And after a while, the things just starts to rip. And then interesting things happen, and they're measurable things that happen. They happen in your brain. They happen between two brains at a distance, and lots of interesting things occur. But this selfish technique, for reasons that I don't know, yields very interesting data in the lab. And so at this point, I have many, many, many experiments taking only skeptics, because I, I, I get scared of believers, only skeptics who have no experience or belief in healing, they, I, they practice their brains out using this technique, they hate me for it, and then we give them experimental things to do in the lab, and they can do it. They can do it simply as a natural outcome. I have no idea why it works. It's so interesting. Wow. In your latest research, you have clarified that intention plays a large part in your healing process and um, can be turned on and off by both healer and the person being healed. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about that or explain that a little bit to us? Yeah, um, I, I have a lot of, lot of interesting twists which are somewhat heretical. Uh, there are people out there, I've, at least that I've met, I, I don't know how widespread this craziness is, but there are people out there who think of healing as something special or something, I don't know, I've even heard it associated with spiritual. I have no idea how that came to be, but but I, you know, I, I don't know that it's more or less spiritual than walking down the street, you know. Um, when, if, you, if you look at the parallel to walking down the street, there's some, there's some power to it. Uh, it. It takes a long time to learn, and you keep falling. Fortunately, you're only that big when you start. 
and, and you keep falling, but eventually there's like a phase transition and suddenly you can walk effortlessly. And you've transitioned then from mindful to mindless. That's a good thing. And but then if you if you you use the same thing on uh, 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 healing, uh, there are people out there who think my attention would be a good thing, or my focus would be a good thing. My if if I if I I'm paying close attention to something and um, uh, my presence will somehow enhance. I mean, that's crazy talk. What are you going to do? How, you don't know how to heal. You don't know how to walk down the street. You just do it. Right. Um, nobody uh, could master walking down the street if they studied anatomy. They, they, they'd never be able to do it. It's, it's a Nike problem. You know, just walk down the street and then you can spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how you did that. But it doesn't have anything to do with being able to do it. Uh, I'm doing the same thing. I can heal, apparently. I'm not a healer. But I can heal. I can get you to heal. Um, and the healing happens. Um, but we, the, the, once you get good at it, you too will have transitioned to mindlessness. Now, intention is hard to pin down. So I intend to stand up and walk down the street. Well, I don't know when I started that intention. I don't know where it came from, and I don't know anything like that. But I don't intend, you know, when I'm intense. Uh, you don't, don't confuse intense with intent. Uh, don't confuse trying with intention. I intend here. I intend to get a drink of water. I'm going to have a drink of water. It's going to be very spiritual. <laughs> now, how wow. did I do that? And the answer is very simple. You don't know. But the complexity of the muscles and the neurons and the everything else that had to go in order for me just to do that simple thing, and I'm going to be doing it not by studying an anatomy book, but I'm going to be doing it by just reaching out and letting me, the real me, the super me, that has all this capability to run this machine and everything else, let it go. If I pay attention to this, I'll probably dribble all over myself. <laughs> right. Same as in the case with healing. So it turns out I've, I've trained a whole lot of people, I mean a whole lot of people, uh, in how to do this. And there's, I could make a continuum of people who are pathologically sensitive, and there are a good number of pathological sensitives out there. And they live a, a difficult life because they're aware of stuff and they're aware of other people's this and that, and they're, mm -hmm. and they're probably in the DSM manual. And probably people want to come and give them pills and Pfizerize them. But the way they're in the world is extremely sensitive. And they need help, frankly, mm -hmm. trying to make it through the day. And I've met a bunch of pathological sensitives, and they're not good around a lot of people. They, they, it's too much. Uh, I know folks who have hidden in the backwoods for years because they can't deal with what happens to them when they're around too much. Wow. And so I've trained these pathological sensitives and brought them in the lab and trained them to heal, and they heal. But along a continuum, you go from pathological sensitive to an insensitive brick. And if you say to the insensitive brick, what are you feeling? They'll, they won't know what the question means. Right. They'll go, what? <laughs> so I've got people on one end that are, what? And the other people here are pathological <laughs> sensitives. Now, it turns out they all heal the same. 
Most people would think it's these sensitive folks that would be better at it. They're not. They're simply more aware of what's going on. Mm. Better at healing or better at being healed? Uh, better at healing. Ah. So here I am, and let's say I'm, I'm treating a cage of mice. So I'm using it as an example. I've done a lot of mice studies. So I'm treating a cage of mice, and I'm one of the pathological sensitives. And I put my hands around the mice, and I feel this, and I feel that, and I'm now I'm joining the mice, and I'm flopping on the floor, and I'm doing, and I'm doing all this kind of, and I'm just flooded with all these things, and I can feel it in my body, and I can, and all this kind of stuff. And then along the other end of the continuum, one of the bricks, the insensitives, gets a cage of mice, and they sit there with their hands around a cage of mice. You say, "What do you feel?" And they go, "What? <laughs> what do you mean?" Right. Well, do you feel anything from the mice? What? You know, and, and, and like that. So these are these are bricks. They heal the same. Right. But the the sensitives are flopping on the floor, and they're getting all these sensations, and they're doing this and they're doing that, and the bricks are just staring off into space, going, "What?" <laughs> now we pay attention to the sensitives. And the reason is because they're sensitive. <laughs> and so you got your hands around a cage of mice and, you know, they're seeing this and they're talking about bright lights and auras and, and, and their chakras are shocking and they're, you know, all this kind of stuff's <laughs> going on. And, and so then you, as, a, as an observer of this, think that those sensations have something to do with healing. And if you could just reproduce what they do, pathological sensitives, you'd be able to do it like them. And it turns out one has nothing to do with the other. And I've tested this mm. a bunch. So the pathological sensitive puts their hands on a, let's, use, let's go back to a person, puts their hands on a person and they're feeling the person's energy system and they're doing this and they're doing that and, and the person gets better. And you think, well, if I could learn to feel the energy system and if I could see chakras, and I don't know what I'm saying now, but, but all that kind of stuff, then this would somehow enhance my healing. It doesn't. And so we've inverted the causal sequence. We think that the sensitivity needs to be trained into you so that the outcome of the sensitivity is healing. Nope. So let me give you a, an example of a study. Well, first of all, I can do this with mice and cell cultures and everything else, and I can tell you that the bricks heal just as well as the, as the sensitives. The sensitives will have a longer journal of their experiences, whereas the bricks will have a simple one word that says, what? <laughs> but they heal the same. And schools that teach healing try to get you to become a sensitive. Yeah. That's crazy yeah. talk, folks. It's yeah. really yeah. crazy talk. Yeah. But it's all, it's rampant out there. And then so somehow, you consider healing to be spiritual because of these connections and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not denying that the connections happen. In fact, I got a whole lot of data that shows really connections happen. I think I published the first study that ever showed phase locking of brains at a distance. Mm -hmm. That's pretty intense. And so I've got many re replications of essentially what is a phase locking of distant brains. 
but it doesn't mean the person experiences it. Right. So if you're thinking about me, and I'm thinking about you, and I'm a pathological sensitive, I have a higher probability of knowing that you're thinking about me. Right. If I'm a brick, what? <laughs> my brain is hooked up just as well. So I did a study actually in two different places. Here's another definition of what a skeptic means. I never report on anything if I've only done it once. And I never report on anything as long as I've only done it in one place. Because I don't believe my own data, I need at least independent replications in independent labs. So some brain stuff I'm talking about now is done at two independent medical schools with the same results, so now I can tell you. We played around with a functional MRI that you, you've seen pictures of lit up brains, you know, things like that. Yeah. And so you get, you know, dramatic red things over here, or red things over here, or something like that. And they're cute. They're not particularly, they're very misleading, incidentally. But they're, they're, they're cute and they make good pictures and, and you know, they're kind of cool toys. And, and so it shows a slight increase in, in oxygenation in a particular area of the brain. And, and so you say, oh, look, that part became active. I mean, that's nonsense. The whole brain is active all the time. We're talking about little blips here and there. So I was trying to figure out, could I find the place in the brain where healing happens? Could I find a place in the brain that happens when you cycle? And so I started to do some functional MRI research and some EEG research and all that kind of stuff. But so we're sticking people's heads in the oven and we're, we're, we're measuring them and looking at them and doing all that. And, we, and said, so we've got them cycling, not cycling, healing, not healing, and all those things. So we have a sense. One of the things we found out is there's no location in the brain for healing. There is an on-off that can be measured with an astonishing reliability. The brain will turn on and off. It'll light up and stop lighting up, but it floats around the brain. So there's no. it turns out there's no location. You think it's over here, and then you try to replicate it, and it's flashing on and off here, and then it starts to flash on and off here, and then it starts to go here, and then it goes back here, and like that. It's crazy talk. You can't, you can't, I can't find a bundle of neurons that is uh, associated with cycling and or healing, which is reasonably interesting, but it turns on and off, and you can watch it turn on and off. So I designed a study, double blind, with a veterinarian who sent me um, and by sending me, they don't come directly to me. There's always a blinding sequence. But sent me, loosely, a bunch of envelopes with pictures and hair samples of cancerous animals. Now, we had cancerous dogs and cats and sheep and goats and, and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a veterinarian. And, and so they're out there treating all, all sorts of animals. So we had a stack of envelopes. With had, which had pictures and hair sample of cancerous animals, and we had a stack of envelopes which just had index cards in them with nothing, no pictures, no, no hair samples. And so these were randomized, mixed up, and, and all those kinds of things. So we had a, a mess of, of envelopes and a stack, and someone who didn't know what was in any of the envelopes came along. We put somebody who knows my healing technique, and by somebody I don't mean one person, a bunch of people. We put somebody in the functional MRI, and their hand is sticking out. It's enclosed MRI, and in the, in the MRI are drops. See if I can get an envelope. It's not really an envelope, but an envelope. 
And so somebody drops an envelope in your hand and takes it out, and drops another envelope in your hand and takes it out, drops another envelope in your hand and takes it out. And this went on and on and on for a bunch of people and a bunch of envelopes. And it turns out if an envelope is dropped in your hand, there's a brain response. It's a tactile kind of a thing. There's a brain response. But if the envelope has a picture or a hair sample of a cancerous animal, the brain turns on to healing. Did these people know that that's what was in the envelope? No. Oh, wow. Only if there was a need in the envelope. Mm. It never turned on if there was no need in the envelope. And it made no difference whether they were a sensitive or a brick. You know, the sensitives are more likely to experience ESP. Uh, the sensitives are more likely to experience something in a healing, but they don't heal any better. Okay. And they're just sensitive. And so they're more aware of it, but healing has nothing to do with sensitivity any more than healing has something to do with spirituality any more than healing is anything more special than walking down the street. Right. If I am walking down the street and I pay attention, I know I'm walking down the street. If I keep paying attention, you're going to take me and see, to see a shrink and say the person is obsessed with walking down the street. <laughs> so give me a pill from Pfizer trying to fix me. Right. If I go around as a spiritual person and I'm feeling all these magnificent things when I put my hands on somebody, you're going to think I'm special. Yeah. That's crazy talk, folks. We don't even know if the brain has anything to do with healing. Right. I suspect right. it does not. So what you're seeing in the brain may not be the cause of healing. It's the response that healing is happening. And healing happens automatically as a response to the need of the healee. All healing comes from the healee, not the healer. And the connection and the subjective sense that the healer has is completely irrelevant. That's not speculation. That's not understood out there in the world. Mm -hmm. That was a long answer where you probably forgot your question. <laughs> you know, you mentioned um, healing being not a conscious act and um, a response to a need. I'm curious, uh, obviously the placebo effect does not um, enter into experiments with mice or other animals, but how do you think it plays in with humans or does it? Placebo does enter into animals. Oh, it, does. Uh, it also enters into cell cultures. Uh, placebos are not psychological phenomena. Uh, this is something I have published on, and I have some tests to, that I think will really demonstrate this. I just haven't, I haven't carried it out yet, and I can go as much detail if you want on this stuff. But uh, placebos are much more of a sociological phenomenon of bonding of people uh, or mm -hmm. animals or cell cultures at a distance. So that if, if let's, let's take a drug trial. So we'll, we'll take a, a standard experimental design takes, I mean, down to its essence, you take a bunch of subjects and they're, they're filtering through and you randomly put them into different groups and you jiggle one group and then you want to see if what the difference is between this group and that group. That's the short version. Right. So I want to test to see if this drug works. So I, I, I give you the, the drug that, I don't care what it does, it makes you stimulated, depressed, you know. And, and so we're doing this and we break, let's say we're dealing with people and we break them up into two groups, sometimes there's more, but we break them up into two groups and then we give them the stimulant here. This group will have a placebo effect, yes? Mm -hmm. 
And it, it turns out there's a lot of dirty little secrets about placebos. I'll give you one. A placebo effect is directly proportioned to the strength of the stimulant given to the other group. Interesting. What do you mean? So what that means in English <laughs> is if I give X dose here, I get X placebo effect. If I give 2x over here, I get 2x placebo effect. So are they connected? How do you explain that if they're other than they're actually connected? Yeah. Do you, do you think it's like mirror neurons connecting people? No. No? I, I, I don't know. I think there's probably connection all over the place. There are connections in the brain, and I've measured them, and I, I have a bunch of EEG data on that, which will show you really astonishing, it's so strong, in fact, that you don't need to call anything other than a phase lock. But it's, um, if I, I go back to my drug thing, if these two groups are somehow bonded, and I jiggle this group, I think there's a real physical effect in this group. Now I've done this, you can model placebo effects, it also turns out that the bigger the study, the, the larger the sample, the stronger the placebo effect. Hmm. So that, let's say you're taking an FDA drug trial and you're, you're moving through the steps of trying to get through the FDA. So you have a, a 2A, a 2B, a this, a that. Each time that you step up to the next phase in a drug trial, the sample size gets larger. As the sample size gets larger, the placebo effect gets proportionally stronger. And by the time you finish, there are very few things that can, can withstand this because the placebo effects become so strong, there's no difference between the two, two groups. And if there's no difference between two groups, your conclusion is nothing happened. Mm. I suggest to you something is happening, but it's happening to both groups. And placebo is not psychological. Placebo is an actual resonant bonding of physically separate groups. I get placebo effects which directly model human effects, and I get them in mice. I'm reasonably confident that the mice don't believe. <laughs> I've, I've given them questionnaires. They, they're, they're really messy about filling them out, but, but I, I see no evidence that, that they believe. <laughs> I get placebo effects in cell cultures. And now here comes the kicker. This is not yet published. I get placebo effects in placebos. How does that work? I got the FDA to return to a company unused placebos that they made. So the FDA made pills with nothing in them. Right. The company received the returned FDA-made placebos and gave them to me. I sent them out to two independent biologists who tested them for biological activity, and both people found them to be biologically active. What does that mean? The pills had bonded <laughs> to other pills. Wow. Interesting. Speci like, specifically other pills? Oh. Yep. I don't even so, know what to say. So placebo effects I found in people, which is the least interesting, mice, which is more interesting, cell cultures, which is pretty interesting, and placebos, 
which is maximally interesting. Um, and I've designed a sequence of experiments to test if there is any psychological part to placebos, how much it is, and how much of this is, is also resonant bonding. I think the money is in resonant bonding. And the question isn't whether bonding occurs. I've pretty much I've demonstrated that in a bunch of experiments. Uh, it's not whether resonant bonding occurs, but rather what are the conditions that bring about the bonding and what are the conditions that break the bond. So bonds are not entanglement, they are fluid. Uh, you can take, well, I mean, everybody's experienced the bond. You can do it in terms of uh, your dog. Mm. On Monday, you love your dog. On Tuesday, you hate your dog. <laughs> what changed? It's not the dog. It's the bond. Mm. And you, everybody has experienced the bond strong and the bond weakened. What are the rules of bonding and unbonding? is how you're going to unravel placebos. And, do and you... so what, what you actually do when you do healing, I think, is you're treating a client. The client could be an animal, vegetable, mineral, who knows what the client is, but you can do the client. If you've got bonded clients to that client, they're all going to get a treatment. Is that how you explain... Sorry. No, it's okay. Is that how you explain... Um, in your book, Hands-On Healing, you mention how some of the controlled mice who were not supposed to be um, viewed by yeah. the healers were just for a few minutes viewed by the healers, not even healed, I mean, not even yeah. trying to be healed, but spontaneously healed. Yeah. yeah, we have bonded mice. So the bond, the mice are shipped together, live together, littered together, everything together, and we separate them, and we think if you're physically separate, you're independent. I, I don't think that's the case. Uh, the question is what makes the, the bond and what breaks the bond. That, I mean, that, that, that's where the mother right. question is. Right. And um, we don't know the answer to that question yet, right? I, I, I don't, uh, no, no, I don't. I, I suspect okay. that uh, part of it can be similar experience. So you, you know, the, the mice all come together in a big package. Uh, the, the, I think it could be the consciousness of the experimenter who seems to delineate boundaries, what's in, what's out. Um, I suspect that consciousness probably plays a, a pretty substantial role in this. Uh, but I, I don't know the mechanism of action, and I don't really understand the rules. So uh, we, we have control mice which have been... We, nobody who knows the healing techniques knew that they even existed but they all came together, so we, somebody separates them randomly into various groups. Even the groups we didn't know about get cured. You can't oh, wow. do that by the psychological suggestion that the mice should cure themselves of cancer. So I know that in some experiments you had the mice in another state, yeah. um, and they, they, did not, they were not cured. So do you think yeah, that they, space, they space is definitely one of those boundaries? I don't know if it's a boundary. It might, it might be a mechanism by which you break the bond. Right. But I don't know. You know, right. I, uh, that's what I mean. I don't know. So the, these are testable hypotheses. You could do it. And, and I, I, I suspect that if you were an actual card-carrying healer, and again, I'm not, but if you were an actual card-carrying healer, the, the last thing you want to do is have unbonded clients. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you do, you do, you, the way we practice almost everything is, is 
well, we got HIPAA laws and all those things. So your client comes in and then leaves in the back door and the next one comes in, you know, they never meet and all that stuff. I think it's the exact opposite of what you ought to be doing. I think you all ought to hang out together, become friends together. Mm. And then whenever anybody's mm-hmm. getting a benefit, they're all getting it. Yeah. I was with a grandmaster. Uh, it, it was really a lot of fun. Um, I've been asked to, <laughs> We're to fun speak people. at, for example, Chinese medical conferences. And they, they call me up and they say, would you come and talk about some of your research? And I go, no, um, because it has nothing to do with Chinese medicine. And they go, that doesn't matter. It's kind of fun stuff. And so I, I, I've gone in to meet, you know, the grandmaster of whatever school it is of traditional Chinese medicine. And, and so I'm not going to give a name. But, but it, uh, so I went in to meet him to see, I don't want to go insult somebody. You know, I, I'm just kind of dorking through life, uh, playing in the lab. Um, and so he... I met him, and he's got a, a full-blown-out Chinese medicine, and he's a grandmaster, you know, the whole thing like that. Um, and, and so he took me into his uh, pharmacology room. I don't know what else to call it. And he had scorpion tails, and he had this, and he had that. Ugh. And I said, does this stuff do anything? And he looks at me, starts to laugh. He goes, nah. <laughs> and and I, I said, and? And he goes, people expect it. Yeah, that's funny. That is funny. <laughs> now, do they do they matter? I don't know. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe they do matter. Maybe, you know, if you don't have a scorpion tail, this doesn't happen. I don't know. I'm not an expert in this stuff. And But the thing that a good skeptic would suggest is, unless you've really seriously tested this, it's probably the case that nobody knows. Yeah. Right. They're all sure, but nobody knows. They're all delusional. So I've heard you speak about, with your technique, how it is easier to take away disease versus give people something that they need. Can you talk a little bit about that and what are you able to easily cure versus what is not so easily cured? The looking for patterns and, and understand that anything I'm about to say is probably wrong. Um, because uh, I can't, I can't conceptually hold everything together. So I don't have any good, really good theories that I couldn't knock down myself. And and so this is in the speculative area as a general tendency, but I could come up with exceptions. So I'm I'm already full of it myself. Um, the it seems in terms of the stuff that my technique seems to work on, it's better if you have something that you want taken away mm-hmm. than if you're missing something and you need to produce it. Right. So I'll give you an example. Alzheimer's. If you've got Alzheimer's, you've got a bunch of crap on your brain. Mm-hmm. We can get rid of that very quickly. So just clinically, you got people staring off into space for a long period of time, and in a week, you know, they should be cooking and hanging out and coherent and everything else. The crap in the brain is taken away. Now, that doesn't mean they're superstars, because they could still have an old, decrepit brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> somebody who has age-related dementia is very different than somebody who has Alzheimer's. Age-related dementia dementia simply means you're old. Uh, your brain is probably shrinking. You got this, you got that. I mean, there are consequences. Right. If you got Alzheimer's, you got crap on the brain. Mm-hmm. 
if you take away the crap on the brain, you're still left with whatever brain is left. Right. So if you're just decomposing, you're still decomposing. If you're decomposing with crap on the brain, we can take away the crap. That makes sense. Yeah. If you flip it around and you take a condition like Parkinson's, in Parkinson's, you're missing something. Uh-huh. So your brain is not putting out the stuff it's supposed to put out. And the Parkinson's is a consequence of that. Mm-hmm. So here your body is missing. And we treat Parkinson's nothing. Nothing. I mean, by nothing, I, I may be exaggerating, but in, in practical purposes, nothing. So you, you, there may be a slight reduction in tremors, for a short period of time, but you still have Parkinson's. Right. If you have Alzheimer's, you're not going to have Alzheimer's very soon. Uh, you're still going to maybe old and decrepit, but you're not going to have Alzheimer's. Uh, but you're, you're, the Parkinson's doesn't seem to respond. So we're generally not good with benign growths. The body doesn't recognize a benign growth as a problem. Malignancies we're really good at. So your your body. I mean, and, and we have a standard joke, but it's it's real. Um, um, it, it, it can be quite instructive. Uh, the, the joke, or the, it sounds like a joke, is uh, uh, nobody using my technique uh, can do a wart. And people will say, you know, any idiot can do a wart. And, and I say, yeah, except this idiot, you know. And, and, and so uh, Reiki people, you know, say, mock me and say, you know, any loser can do a wart. And I go, I agree, you know, I can't. Um, and, the, and the, this school of thought and that school, and I've had people, you can go up to a wart and go boo, and it goes away. Um, and that's fine. But here's an interesting phenomenon. If you learn my technique, you'll no longer be able to do warts. Interesting. Mm. So the people who are Reiki people rake away warts. I'm probably using the wrong term. And, <laughs> and, and, and the warts, you know, they, they, an easy application of wart, wart be gone, and it's gone. Uh, but if they start cycling, the warts don't go away anymore. Mm. Just as anybody who learns my techniques becomes left-handed. Huh. Really? That's, 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 that's reasonably interesting. What about self-healing? <laughs> Can you use Self-healing your is hard uh, because... Um, can you do it with your technique? Yeah, you can. Uh, it, it, depending on what you had, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, but, uh, the, the, you know, if you had a, a serious life condition kind of a thing, I would recommend that you give it to somebody who is a little bit more detached. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of healing is fleeting intention, and it's also detachment. And, and someplace in there is the mix of this image cycling stuff. Uh, we, did, we did one experiment, uh, which was pretty instructive, did this at a medical school. We took out the cycling, uh-huh. and we just had people put their hands around the cages. Yeah. Uh, and so everything was the same, except uh, the, there, there was uh, no, no image cycling. And uh, the mice died. Wow. So it's not intention, they wanted the mice to live. Yeah. Mm. It's not attention. The cycling seems to matter. And this kind of, in, in the same way that you decide you want to walk down the street, you, you, you don't get all worked up over it. You walk down the street. You don't know when you intended it. You don't know when that you got the idea. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And you don't know how to walk. You just walk. 
yeah. uh, and let the body take care of itself. Well, the same thing is true in healing. Uh, you know, last thing you want to do is get worked up over this. Now, if you are injured or hurt or something like that, then um, uh, it's kind of hard to treat yourself because a, a lot of us take ourselves personally, go figure, and, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's hard to detach. So you want someone who is less attached to the condition. Uh, but uh, um, uh, it, it's easier to treat a stranger than it is a, a loved one. Right. Because hmm. you have a tendency to um, care. Right, yeah. And caring doesn't help. <laughs> caring what? is uh, to be avoided, just as I think belief is to be avoided. Uh, uh, effort is to be ab avoided. Conscious willing of something is to be avoided. Just let nature take its course for crying out loud. Walk down the, the stupid street. Uh, you have no idea and spend the rest of your life, you still won't know how you did it. Um, it'll become your hobby, but just walk. Just heal. And for reasons that elude me, uh, cycle when you heal. And, and interesting things will happen. What about uh, charging your own water and then drinking it? That you can do. Uh, and that is another among the, the long list of things I don't understand. Uh, that's among them. So charging, the, the, the things that we have a tendency to use more than anything else is cotton, because it's real simple. Um, if I go to, go to a group of people and I'm going to teach them how to do this hocus pocus stuff, um, I'm going to bring cotton for them to experience. It, it, cotton almost victimizes you. Uh, this goes back to the work of the great uh, Bernard Grad at McGill University. Uh, 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 Bernie Grad is is basically the granddaddy of all healing research, hmm. um, and he's also, by extension, coming out of his research. And this is in the 1950s and 60s in particular. Come a whole lot of healing schools, which were just trying to reproduce what Grad was doing in the lab. It, it's to my great horror that many people don't know this anymore. Uh, Grad has no peer in the history of healing research, as far as I'm concerned. So if I've been able to do some stuff, it's kind of along his lineage. Uh, but he started the lineage. And, and among the things that he lineaged, I don't know if that's a word, was uh, that you can charge materials. And, and so way back in the 50s and 60s, uh, in particular, he was working with a Hungarian healer, Oscar Estebani. Uh, and Estebani, if he held a piece of cotton, uh, you could put, he, uh, Grad was doing wound healing studies, um, so he would take mice and rats and do ugly things to them and then see if Estebani could accelerate the healing, and without question he could. Uh, but you could produce the same effect if Estebani held some cotton and if you put the cotton on the wound. Uh, and, and, and so experiments which were done live were repeated with cotton that had been held by the healer, and so something pretty clearly has been stored. Um, and and I, I've simply taken that you know down a couple of notches. But the, the general idea here is, is this. Even, and I, I can't explain this, I can just describe it, even if you're in a great deal of pain, uh, even if you're flopping on the floor in pain, you can pick up a piece of cotton and charge it and then put the cotton on and that'll do it. Uh, I don't, it, it, yeah. it, it's pretty interesting. Um, uh, I'll give you an anecdote. Uh, a few years ago, I don't even know how many, I was playing uh, tennis and I heard a very loud pop 
and saw stars. Uh, <laughs> my first astronomical tennis game, and, <laughs> and so I saw stars, and and I got taken in, and and I had completely ripped my hamstring. Mm. Uh, that's not a good thing to do. Yeah. And and you know basically the diagnosis was you're completely screwed, um, and you're going to have a good six months of therapy and and and, and you know all that kind of stuff, and get yourself a wheelchair and get get yourself you know and, and like that. And I said nee. So I flopping on the floor in pain, quite painful. I, I would hold pieces of cotton and I just wrap it around. An interesting thing is I don't know which leg it was anymore, uh, but I, I would wrap it around where the hamstring used to be um, and, and tape it with an ace bandage and I'd go to sleep. And the next day I'd get another piece of cotton and do that. I went through all the stages of healing, uh, but just in a greatly accelerated manner. So I was on um, crutches for not weeks, but a day or two. Then I was on with a cane for a day or two. Then, and the short version is um, uh, I was in pain, but it went away much faster. And instead of six months later, when I was supposed to start therapy, I played in a tournament in five weeks. Wow. Oh, wow. How long so did you? Nothing odd happened other than an acceleration of healing. How long did you no. charge the cotton for? Uh, the, the, the length of time to charge a piece of cotton it varies. Uh, it, it, it seems to be inversely related to the size of the cotton. So if I've got a piece of cotton, and this is like just rolled cotton at a CVS, um, a piece of cotton yay big, 20 minutes, I don't have a charge o meter yeah. You know, so it's, uh, you're just going by um, by gut. Yeah. Uh, but if you take a pound, it, it feels awkward. It takes it takes a long time to do. And and so we've had we we fixed people uh, without using any. We just with this. We've also since I have the property, we've taken water, and this also goes back to the great grad, and we treat the water. So you just hold the water. Uh, I fed treated water to mice I've never met. They're cured of cancer. Um, you know, again, it's, it's recently interesting. If anybody out there is interested in looking at some papers, I'm told, but I've never seen, um, that I have a website, um, and it's just <laughs> bankstonresearch.com. It's being renovated, so I don't know what's up there now and who knows, okay. but the intent is to put a whole lot of the things I've written up there that you can hopefully skeptically read. You know, yes. don't believe a word I say, test it for yourself. Um, skeptically read, look at the evidence, uh, and check it out. It's an interesting phenomenon. Yes, everybody Thank should you. check it out because it is... It, I don't know why more people don't know about the, this technique, but... Um, I think it's amazing and the work that you're doing is great. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That completes this episode of The Unexplained Truths. If you enjoyed it, be sure to like, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you in the next episode. Want more? Head over to our YouTube channel, The Unexplained Truths. Do you or someone you know have an interesting story to tell? If you would like to be on our show, please email us at theunexplainedtruths at gmail.com. <laughs>